This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. Well, hello again. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome to our weekly podcast, Leading from the Front. I am extremely excited to introduce today's guest, somebody I know very well. I did not have to read his resume, and you'll understand why in just a moment. As a Navy veteran of 28 years, two tours in Vietnam in his younger days as an enlisted man, after 11 years of hard work, he got promoted to becoming an officer as a limited duty officer. And let me just say that the, uh, the percentages to be a limited duty officer and a direct commission like that are so low, it's staggering. But I am very proud to talk about leadership today with the one and the only, my brother, John Patrick McGrath, my older brother, who I'm very proud to call a statarian. He works with me. And we're going to talk to him today about how leading from the bottom up, because he started as an E1 in the Navy. He spent 11 years enlisted, got to E8, and at the same time was commissioned as an ensign. And we want to talk about that path with him and the impact that that had and other things had on his career through the Navy. Well, John, welcome. Hello there, Dr. Gary. Good to be here. So... Talk a little bit about your background. I, I talked a little bit about your history, but I'd like to hear some background. As you talk about it, I'd like you to intersperse some thoughts about the things that happened to you in your naval career that really significantly impacted your leadership capabilities and character over, over time, and as it relates to what you do today. Okay, well, let's start off, as you say, from, from the bottom as a E1, E2, E3. I think. A lot of people in my first two and a half, three years in the Navy, uh, a lot of people thought that I was never, ever going to make petty officer E4. Uh, and there was a reason for that. I was basically fighting every day not to be everything I could be. Let's just put it that way. I was not happy. I was lost. Uh, as you said, I was the oldest brother of five. And the Navy was unfamiliar to me. I thought I knew I was what I was doing because, as, as you know, Dr. Gary, our dad had spent many decades in the Navy, and um, he was a taskmaster, and I was his first lieutenant, as it were, and I didn't like that job, did not like that job at all. So my first three years in the Navy, as uh, starting out, I missed a few promotions because of my uh, behavior and my mindset. I was not a happy camper. Let's just put it Are that way. Are you saying that you had a bad attitude, John? <laughs> yeah, 
I, well, it wasn't bad all the time, but uh, I did have some anger issues. Just, just when you were at work. Okay. All right. <laughs> just, just when I was at work. That's right. Yeah. I had a few friends. Um, and so what happened after two and a half or three years that changed the way you well, perceived? Uh, I looked around and I realized that uh, I wasn't happy. And, uh, but I needed the money because I had just bought a motorcycle and I really didn't have enough money to even buy a good motorcycle. It was a very old one. And, uh, those people that had joined after I did, they were already E5s and I'm still an E3. And so now I'm working for those guys and I'm the guy with more time in the Navy than they had. And I realized that I was being very, uh, ignorant in the way I, I did business. So I decided that I'd use my head and try to become a little bit more professional. And uh, it worked pretty good because in about one year, I went from E3 to E5. So, you know, one of the things I'm hearing you say in this journey of yours is you first had to learn how to be a good follower. Absolutely. And that was a hard, hard lesson for me to, to uh, realize that even though I was fairly intelligent and fairly educated, that my head kept me from becoming a good person and from becoming uh, the kind of sailor I should have been from the beginning. So once you made E5 and you really started to get your career online, um, then, then what happened? I remember you talking to me a little bit about shipping over. In the Navy, that means deciding to stay in and Get a little bonus for that if you're in the right place, right time, right uh, specialty. But you you were thinking about getting out. Yeah. Uh, another year into a six-year tour, I was, uh, as, as I said, I've been promoted E5, and I'd taken E6 test and passed it. So I was going to make E6. However, I was also a little over five years, and I was on shore duty at the time. And they decided, the Navy decided that they were going to short tour me and send me back to Vietnam. That would have been my third tour. And I just knew that I did not want to go back to Vietnam. So I decided I was going to get out. And, um, well. So what changed had, your mind? Well, it was, it was a kind of interesting conundrum. Uh, the master diver I worked for, uh, the uh, division officer I had, diving officer, they all basically rubber stamped a bat valve. It was my first bat valve in the Navy uh, since making E4. And I ended up in front of the captain, not in a bad way, a good way. Uh, my CO, my commanding officer, uh, took a look at uh, this evaluation and, and had a question for me why all of a sudden I was not the sailor that I had been for the last couple of years. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, he wanted to keep me. He, he saw some value in me and uh, he gave me some options several weeks later, which I took after talking to dad. I called dad up once I found out what the options were and he asked me just one question. Uh, what are you going to do if you do get out, go to college like you say you want to and you find out the college is not a good fit for you, John. I didn't think of that. I had not thought of that at all. I was basically on a, on a straight path to get out, to go to college, uh, get an undergrad degree, and then see what happened after that. So I hadn't figured out that. I didn't have a plan B, in other words, if, if I didn't uh, finish my college career that I thought I needed. 
So one of the things I think that's important to share here at this point in this is is that your relationship with dad, we all the brothers know that you got a you got a strained relationship with dad, being the oldest and him being so tough on you, a lot of expectations and uh had a strained, uh challenging but trusting relationship. And here he is, he's not giving you advice. He's being a good coach. We talk about this in leadership all the time. He asked one question and it changed your life, didn't it? It did. Uh, even though my relationship with our father was was uh, very strained, as you said, um, actually with me at that point in my life, it was non-existent. I didn't like coming home, didn't want to come home. Uh, I figured uh, that the only people that I, I really liked hanging around with was other sailors. And I really liked the Navy. I, I did that. There was a few things I didn't like, like, you know, getting shot at and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Little things. Yeah. Little things like that. But um, this, this commanding officer gave me some options and uh, it was, it was just absolutely amazing. But I still thought that I, I didn't want to stay in the Navy for 20 years or retire or any of that stuff. But dad never, ever lied to me. He always told me the truth in his lexicon, his, his, wheelhouse if you would and i trusted his decision making process especially especially when it came to navy stuff so when he told me that it sounded like it was a really really good idea for me to think about what the navy was offering vice the very idea of getting out going to college not knowing what i was going to do later and so forth uh yeah it changed it changed my life it changed my path well, and, and, you know, as we get into talking about the next phase of your life, uh, uh, where you go through up the ranks and you go to E6, E7, and then E8. And at the same time, we had talked about a story about another coach that you had that told you to apply in your officer application. And I think it was the second time that you'd gone about doing that. The chances are so slim to get selected as a uh, limited duty officer. But he told you something that, again, changed your life and changed the way you thought about things. You want to, let's share that story because this whole idea of coaching is, is an important part of leadership. In, in 1979, during my second, 79, oh my God, how old are you? Uh, well, I'll be 70 next month. <laughs> you, you really are old. Okay. Yeah. I've had a lucky life. <laughs> I've had a lucky life. I'm sorry. I interrupted. That's all right. 1979, uh, two things happened to me. Number one, I took the E-8 test, which I passed with flying colors uh, to become a senior chief in the Navy. And I also put in my second application for limited duty officer. Now, in my case, there was two categories I could buy for. One of them was surface LDO. The other one was submarine LDO. LDO stands for limited duty officer. So in, in the Navy at that time, the surface LDOs uh, were being picked up by the hundreds. However, the submarine force LDOs were picking up by the tens, okay? So I looked at the metrics there and getting picked up uh, as a surface officer seemed to be the way to go for two reasons. Number one, I'd, I'd spent some time on surface ships, very little time on submarines. And number two, I mean, getting picked up for a submarine LDO in my category, usually between nine and 12 people every year got picked up. That was it. Out of the whole Navy, nine or 10, 11, 12, whatever, you know, crazy, crazy uh, percentage points. And I was not submarine qualified. So I, I 
put my paperwork in. I get before the board, a bunch of officers, and they they stamp it, okay, approved. You know, you've done this, done that. You've done really good. I get up in front of my commanding officer at the time. He wears gold dolphins, which means he was submarine qualified. He's an 06, full captain, and he's now commanding officer of his second ship because his first ship he was commanding officer of a submarine. And the commanding officers of all units, whenever somebody puts in for an officer program, they are the final signature on that tome of information that goes up to Navy Washington, D.C. to get picked. He asked me why I had put in for the service. I told him a story about the metrics. He looked at me and said, Chief, I think you'd be better off putting in for submarine LDO. I was very surprised at that. And I told him so. He said, well, Chief, it's up to you. But here's your paperwork. Think about it. Yes, sir. I called Dad that same evening. And Dad, again, only asked me one question. Uh, basically, the question was, do you think that your commanding officer might know a little bit more about this program than you do? Uh, well, obvious answer is yes, of course. He had, you know, this commanding officer had almost 30 years in. I'm just, you know, 10, 10 years I had it. So dad said, well, think about it. Uh, here's two guys that I have a lot of respect for and, and a whole bunch of Navy time and that are telling me something that uh, I didn't know. So I did change it. And I went back up to the captain the following day and, and uh, I put in for submarine LDL. I was the only non-submarine qualified guy that got picked up for submarine LDL that year, 1980. How is that possible? I, I, I had no idea. I found out four or five years later, I went to this gentleman's retirement uh, ceremony in Norfolk, Virginia. The, your, the gentleman was your commanding officer? Correct. Yep. He was retiring as an 06. He had his 30 in. I walked up to him, congratulated him. He looked at the stripes of my arm and said, oh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant McGrath. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. And he said, okay. He said, did you find out that I was a senior man on that board that year? I was stunned. I had no idea. No idea. So to dad's question, do you think your commanding officer knows something that you don't know or knows more about this process than you do? Without your knowledge, he was telling you that if you go on that board in this direction, he'll make sure that you get selected. And you were the only one that did. Gary, you of all people know that I have been one lucky son of a gun forever. You know, between climbing trees, riding motorcycles, being married to three wonderful women, uh, my, my daughter, you, uh, the other three brothers that we have, uh, the crazy stuff that I pulled two combat tours without any problem. Uh, here I am. What do you mean without stuff. any problem? The, the listeners here should know that you were MIA for like 30 days once, yeah. uh, during one of those tours. And we didn't know whether you were going to be coming back or not. Neither did I. I wouldn't say that was, I didn't die. Right. But I wouldn't say that was no problem. I'm still here. But anyway. You're still here. I, I want to get back to this, though, because as we look at the history of this, we talk about leadership. We talk about the importance of coaching. A couple of people in your life, dad, a couple of times, your commanding officer, great examples of where a coaching question and asking you to think about it changed your life several times. 
And how did you, how did you take that forward? You're an officer now. And I, I know that uh, I didn't mention this before, but uh, as an engineer and then as an executive officer, you had at different times between 250 and 400 sailors reporting into you that you had to lead and manage and guide. Uh, how did you use all of this knowledge, this background coming from the bottom up? How did that influence your leadership uh, direction, capabilities, mindset as you matured? That would take a book <laughs> since we only have about a half an hour left. Well, let me ask a question. Let me ask the question a little differently then. If you could write yourself a letter and say, these are the three things that I highly recommend you do as you go through your Navy career, as you think about leadership, what, how would we water this down for our listeners to know, you know, these are the three or four things that I learned in all this that you might, you might consider. I would say the first one is to have a personal mission statement. Um, okay. An internal direction that makes making valid decisions uh, so much easier. I was so confused for so many years, and, and we're talking decades. If it hadn't been for the leadership of the people that I work for and some of the leadership from the bottom up, some of the people that I purportedly was their boss covering my butt in a lot of cases, I never could have done what I did. So I think, I think that you have said it best that experience is a horrible teacher in a lot of cases. Yeah. Experience you know? alone. Yep. Experience, experience alone, alone is a horrible yep. thing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's what I used for 20 years, the Navy experience. Yeah. And uh, didn't get the education to realize there was so many more options, so many more ways to communicate, so many ways to understand how other people thought instead of only trying to be um, uh, sustainable as a, as a single guy. Mm. Uh, it's it just it, it's very, very difficult to realize that if you're leading only by what you think is right. Uh, in a lot of cases, you're going to be wrong mm. or maybe half wrong. You might be 90% right, but <laughs> you need help. You need help. Yeah. That personal mission statement definitely uh, causes one to realize there's a lot more options that you have. And when you get in the crunch, uh, the personal mission statement will help you make that right decision. Now, you, you said three or four things. That's yeah. the first one. That's okay. the, first one. Uh, the second one, in my case, I had a problem listening to others. Mm. As you know, when we did the uh, Myers-Briggs, I was 100% extrovert. Uh, people that know me know I like to talk. And the biggest problem that I had in communication with others is the fact that I did not listen. Maybe 90% of my talking, 10% listening, maybe. So uh, you would have sent yourself a note saying, listen, listen more. Oh my God, John, yeah. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah. Listen, please. And uh, some, some people tried to do that when I was younger and I, I would shrug it off. They don't know what they're talking about. And I, I there's know the, what there's the ego again, right? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So that's number two. Number three. Well, quit beating yourself up. Find ways to allow you to be you, but become more truthful. 
become more accepting of people's differences, educate yourself because knowledge is awesome. And for all the youngsters and some of us oldsters, it's not about the teachers or the process or the grade. It's about learning new possibilities, new process, the progress, new options. I know that's a lot for three, but uh, I've found that to be very, very true. That if you can allow yourself the pleasure to be wrong once in a while, and if you're a really, really good leader, allow the people that you are trying to coach, sometimes you've got to allow them to fail and not try to help them all the time. Yeah. So quit beating yourself up. Don't be, don't be the guy that knows everything. <laughs> if you think you're the smartest man in the room, you're not. You're in the wrong room. You're in the wrong room. At the very least. So uh, why do we, why do we, I think this is a good thing to dig into just a minute. Why do you think we beat ourselves up for making mistakes? Well, I think, well, for me, I, th- I think the reason I beat myself up is because, uh, because of the way I got to think. Uh, I was taught to think that way. That if I wasn't right, that I was always wrong. Mm. And nowadays I realize, you know, yeah, I'm right a few times. I'm wrong a lot, but there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of gray there. And if you have the education and the experience and a good coach and a good boss and hopefully some good people that work with you, you can, you can mitigate the gray much, much better instead of just worrying about what's right or wrong. Try to mitigate the gray. Try to find something from someone you you don't care for, someone you don't like, someone that's hassling you, somebody, oh, like a wife that always says, you know, oh, no, 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 no. Listen to what they say. Find something that you both agree on and work with that one first. Try to find common ground. Yeah, we, so we also often judge judge people in a negative way. And Abraham Lincoln said, uh, I don't like that man very much. I think I need to spend more time with him. Right. You know, and get to know and understand. And when you talk about failure, it, it is my, uh, my belief that a lot of times we beat ourselves up and sometimes for hours, days or weeks because of the fear of making the mistake again, we're afraid we're going to make it again. We don't want to make we don't want to make that mistake again. So we slow it down. We beat ourselves up and we repeat it over and over and over and over. And we have that feeling. And what we've learned through physiology and, and psychology and emotional balance now is emotion locks in memory. So when I coach people, I tell them, I want you to feel deeply the disappointment you have in yourself right now for the mistake that you made, feel it with passion, get in that state with me, just, just let go and feel it. And then you can let it go. And I guarantee you will never, ever forget that mistake. You will never forget that mistake. You will never make it again. You will not have to beat yourself up anymore. Just feel the disappointment for a few minutes and let it go. So that's pretty powerful stuff. And I, I think a lot of people, a lot of high performers, a lot of leaders can relate to that beating themselves up habit that sometimes we have. So thanks for sharing that. We just got to be ourselves, like you said. 
you know be be yourself be true to yourself and be true to others yeah absolutely so the last thing i wanted to i wanted to uh, cover with you is something that you taught me and uh, it, it was taught to me by you as we started this journey together, working together over the, uh, the last five or six years. Because uh, one day I asked you to get something done for me, and you simply texted me back saying IGYB. IGYB. And IGYB stands for I've Got Your Back. And we have brought this into companies. We bring it into Stateris where we support each other. People make mistakes. It's not a big deal. We just pick up uh, the pieces. We put it all together and we make magic because we have each other's back. And a lot of people don't understand this that weren't in the military as well as we do. And I want to share with our listeners just a little bit of background so they understand the power of the McGrath family. And I brag a little bit because we have 108 years of military service by our father, the five boys and my son who all served from 1946 to 2009 without, without a year missing uh, a McGrath in the military. Now I will say that uh, everybody else, uh, there was 104 years of Navy service and four years of army service. So I was on the outside, but uh, we still served and we have each other's back no matter what. And that IGYB is something that we need more in business and we need more with each other, especially in these times that we're seeing in challenges with the economy and the things that are going on right now. But uh, uh, I'll never forget that when you just simply do that uh, IGYB text and you do it today, it's just such a good feeling to know that somebody's got your back. And I challenge those listeners to find ways to have each other's back and uh, be a brother, be a sister. Absolutely. And the IGYB thing is also uh, printed in my brain when I find myself hitting that emergency break because, well, I got other things I need to do. And one of my brothers say, well, I need help with this or I need help with that. And I go, IGYB. It's, it's simple. It's simple. What's important here? Family is first. And you yeah. guys are family. And there's a few friends of mine. I do use that word uh, restrictively in a lot of cases where it's IGYB because I got a lot of acquaintances, uh, very few friends. My brothers are friends and brothers. Yeah. Well, John, first of all, I want to reflect and emphasize what I know is a, a huge thank you from all our listeners for the service that you did to this country for 28 years for the uh, anchor that you have become in our family and for the impact that you've had in all the people during your leadership journey and in the work that you do today with Staterius to help people become better leaders and develop their leadership capabilities. Thanks for being on today. I really appreciate your insight, and your wisdom. Well, let me, let me say I'm not that wise. <laughs> I had a lot of help, a lot of help. And it seemed at, at the crux, every time there was a big decision to make, I called dad or one of my quote unquote coaches in the Navy that I trusted to lead me in the right direction. Uh, there's no way, Gary, I could have become the officer I became uh, the day I retired. 300 people came on board that ship to see me go. And I got to tell you, about 90% of them were enlisted people that had worked with me after I had become an officer. I was so grateful to those people that helped. Yeah. And trusted me. Thank you. 
Yeah, and to be able to uh, do that, we have to put our ego aside. And I think the advice that people need to hear is to be able to recognize that we don't have all the answers and to reach out to some of those wise people around us that might be able to give us better advice than and expand our options, expand our thinking beyond our own perspective of the world. Being humble to me is one of the best things that we can do, not only for ourselves, but for others. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. Uh, Thanks for being my guest. Lieutenant Commander Retired John Patrick McGrath, my brother, my friend, my co-worker, and in some ways, my hero, has a PhD in life. I call him Dr. John because of his life experiences. Thank you so much, brother. I love you. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you for listening. I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And this is Leading from the Front. Take care. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.